Well, we're still talking about the Annunciation. And if you have your scriptures with you, turn to the first chapter of Luke. Um, and we're going to continue reading about Mary. Mary's one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. I love to read about this girl. She was so sharp and her, and her attitude was so great. Now, you remember last week we began with the angel Gabriel coming in and announcing to Mary how, um, how Jesus was going to be born through her into the world. Now, the important part to remember there, uh, one of the important parts, is that Mary was unique but not solo in her uh, being used of God to be born into the world. You remember we examined Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verses 3 through 6 that said that same grace, same description of being filled with grace that was given to Mary is given to all of us. So therefore, God is calling all of us to be vehicles of his coming into the world. Now, we want to we further uh, uh, take note of Mary's, Mary's reaction to the announcement. And so, so I, want you to, I want you to remember last week we read verse 29. She was in shock. There's a couple of ways that... that that you can react when somebody um, just kind of comes in and, and it dawns to you that God's speaking through them. Uh, number one, you can um, um, just uh, run like the Dickens. <laughs> I, I know many of you have. Uh, God's just kind of sometimes brought you up short sometimes and you just start taking off. And, um, and you know that if you've done that, how uh, fruitless that is. Because see, God uh, is wherever you're running to, God's waiting for you there too. So no use running. Because uh, you just get, you just tire yourself out. Um, some of you um, just um, overreact to God and come back with some sort of immediate response that's usually not a very good one. As a matter of fact, when you're, whenever you feel, feel confronted with, every, with anything, probably the greatest strategy is not immediately to say what's on your mind. That's, that's, that's true with people. It's really true with God. Uh, Zacharias did that. Wasn't a good scene. And we're going to tell you about him in just a minute. <clears throat> but the third way is to, is to just say, okay, God's speaking to me here. How much more can I understand before I respond? How much more can I, how much more can I take in? In verse 29, it says this about Mary's first reaction. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Now, the whole time Mary's standing there or sitting there and saying, oh, oh, okay, okay. God's, okay, I'm going to have a baby. Okay, how's that? Okay, and it's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Savior. Okay, okay. And she's, she's just going over, she's trying to comprehend the thing. She can't comprehend the thing. She gets little bits of it and she gets just enough of it to start asking questions. I love this. But it's not accusatory questions. It's wondering questions. It's like, okay, how, how would that be? How are you going to do that? I believe you. How are you going to do it? In other words, in verse 34, it says this. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Literally, the Greek translation is, how shall this be? In other words, Mary has no doubt that it's going to happen. Not a doubt. Okay, you said it. I believe it. How shall this be since I am a virgin? Now, I, I, I probably shouldn't even have to say this, but I don't know what kind of church background you come out of. So I need to say it. Mary was a virgin. 
All right? I, I, I go into churches sometimes and go, well, all births are miracles. Yeah, that's right. God's in all births. Yeah, that's right. So Jesus could have come into the world as, a, as just a normal, through the normal process. Well, he could have, but he didn't. The point is, here, Mary is saying, that's impossible. Never been with a man. So she is proclaiming here, Scripture is proclaiming, there is some unique biological event, i.e., uh, no way biologically I could do that. So it's not, the Bible claims. You want to fight the Bible, you fight the Bible. But the Bible claims Mary's a virgin. Now, Mary's reaction to this is so great. I love this. And I love this because, because so much is wrapped up in our attitude. Not in the way, not in what we understand, but how we react even to what we don't understand. Uh, somebody told me that, that, that I couldn't remember the, who, who first said this, but I love the quote. And it's Zig Ziglar who fir- first said it. It's not your aptitude, but it's your attitude that develops your al- that, that determines your altitude. I like that. Let me say it again because I messed it up. <laughs> it's not your aptitude, but it's your attitude that that determines. <laughs> I can't remember it. I'm so glad it's not my aptitude. I got a good attitude. <laughs> that determines your altitude. Let me, let me differentiate Mary's response from the response of Gabriel. I'm, I'm sorry, from the response. If you want this sermon right, get a tape because they tape. <laughs> From the response of Zacharias and even of Eve, even of Eve. You see, when the same angel, Gabriel, came to Zacharias and announced an impossibility, Zacharias had a bad attitude. Now, it's not that Zacharias didn't want to hear the the words. He'd, He'd been waiting for the words for years. But his attitude was, I'll believe it when I see it. And and he said, what sign are you going to give me so that I can know this thing's going to happen? In other words, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Not fully. Now, let me tell you what's wrong with that attitude. And I don't know how many of us, from time to time, feel the same way about God. God, you're going to do this? I, I need some sign. I'm not sure about this. Um, you need to prove it to me. Say what? You're putting God to the test, right? Mm-mm, mm-mm, wrong, no. We're the ones being tested. God is the testor, we're the testees. And so it's not good to say, okay, God, you want this out of me? You got to do this first. Now, you will get a response from God. You just won't be pleased with the response that you get with God. The same thing happened, and, I, and the reason I, I tell you this is because it's, it's kind of a universal trait, universal human trait, that we want something other than faith to turn to. Eve did the same thing. When, 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 they gave, uh, when he gave Adam, Adam and Eve uh, uh, orders to take, have dominion in the world, Eve did not fully trust that God had given her everything she needed. And so therefore, she literally grabbed for an instrument of power. That is, not trusting in God, she wanted something, some vehicle by which her abilities would be made stronger and she could have more confidence in herself. 
And so there she, therefore she took the forbidden fruit because it was, it was to make one wise and she felt she needed the wisdom. Adam did the same thing. But this all goes right back to the universal human tendency. God, I believe you, but, but I'd rather have something of my own to make this thing come about. God's looking for, watch this, just an absolute voluntary attitude, whether you understand it or not. Whether you understand it or not. I, I read a story last week, a uh, true story. But it's a coach telling of one of his uh, kids. This coach uh, was a football coach of the middle schoolers, and they had three different teams that they all played like a half uh, at, at, at corresponding schools. And this little Leroy kid was on the seventh, seventh grade team. Now, Leroy just wasn't sharpest knife in a drawer. Um, he just didn't understand everything real well, but he, was, he had a good heart. And the coach saw him kind of falling into some bad kids. And the coach didn't like that. Coaches don't. They watch out for their kids. And so, and so after the seventh grade game, uh, the, all these seventh grade players go off and be there by themselves. And the coach knew that wasn't very good for Leroy. So he said, Leroy, why don't you stay around the eighth grade game? This, Leroy's new to all this. And help me with the eighth grade team. I'll give you a little promotion here. He said, oh, coach, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. What do I do? And coach said, well, do, do whatever I tell you. One of the things I want you to do is I want you to run and get to the, the, the tee after we, after we kick off. And, and Leroy kind of looked puzzled. And, and so they, they started the eighth grade game and, and their team kicked off and kids ran down the field, made a tackle, and they started setting up uh, the lineup. And the coach turned to Leroy and said, now, Leroy, it's a true story. Leroy, go out, run out, run out the field and get the tee. And, and Leroy's kind of going like this and finally runs out of the field and gets about five yards and turns back to the coach and says, you want sweetened or unsweetened? <laughs> he had no idea that coach was talking about that kicking tee. Had, had, couldn't see any tee out there, just started running and just wanted to know which kind he want. That's the attitude God's looking for. I can't see it, but I'm running. What, what flavor you want here? See... Yeah, when you got that kind of attitude, when you got that kind of attitude, the answer will be there when you get there. And, and, and the point of Mary was, Lord, I know how you're going to do it. I, I, I mean, I know you're going to do this. How are you going to do it? I can't wait to see you do this. You see, our tendency is to want some vehicle other than faith. When we, when we know absolutely what God wants from us. God, I know the response you, you, you want me to have to mean people. But I, don't, I can't do that. You've got to give me, you've got to give me some sort of, of vehicle, some sort of trigger, some sort of trick that I can, that I can hope. But I, I, I have absolutely no energy to deal with these people. So I've got to have a sign. Why not just say, God... I'm just going to lay back and watch what you do. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm sure going to have fun watching. Some of, you, some of you know what God wants in your marriage. You know God wants you to have a fantastic marriage. And you're sitting there saying, I would if he just changed that other person. <laughs> I'm just going to stand back and watch him change that other person. Mm-mm. Now wait. Something got to be born in you. Or I would if I would have the skills, if I would have better communication skills, or I would if I'd have better control, if I'd put my foot down and tell them what they got to do. I just got to be open in my community. No, no. The only person that has access to their heart and your heart is the Holy Spirit. So you got to step back and say, God, I know you want me to have a good marriage. I can't wait to see how you're going to do this. 
I'll go along with anything you say and I'll run ahead with you and I'll walk along with them because I know that what you want. But I can't wait to see how you do this. Some of you are having a rough time raising your kids. And you think if you can just get the right control mechanism, you know, if I can just have the right ratio of permission and constriction and, and you know, say the right words and, and create the right structure, then my kid's going to turn out all right. You know as well as I do that the only person, the only one that can make the person of God is God himself. Now, it's not that you, don't, you cease to become parents. That's your job. It is your job to set the structure. No escape from that. I know you don't like it. You got to do it anyhow. But to ever think that there's any kind of mechanism that can take the place of God himself. Or that he is going to give you that instead of do it in himself. You're missing all the fun. The fun is, God, I know this is what you want. I know you love that girl. I know you love that boy better than I do. I can't wait to see what you do in their lives. That's the fun. You see, the shortcoming is the perception. The understanding, we won't do it. God will do it. I, I, Becky and I get a really cute Christmas card this week. There's, on the front, there's this snowman who's looking in his Christmas stocking under the mantle. And he's, and he's, and he's thinking to himself, oh... Two pieces of coal. And he opened it up and, and he's taking those two pieces of coal and put it into his sockets and goes, I can see. <laughs> That's the point. What looks like a shortcoming, what looks like a punishment is really a vision. Mary, you're going to have a baby. God, how are we going to do it? Then God explains, or I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Gabriel, the angel, explains something very significant theologically. And I want you to, I want you to think through this with me because we need to have an, an accurate doctrine of the incarnation. An accurate doctrine of the incarnation. For those of you who are not of a church background, incarnation means in the flesh. Carnivore is a flesh eater. Uh, carnivorous. And so, so how did God become in the flesh? Gabriel says this. This is how it's going to happen. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now, let me alert you just um, as a, the literary device here. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Almighty shall overshadow you. Are not two different actions. That's one action. This is Hebrew parallelism. I've explained this, that to some of you before. That is to say, there's a, there's a literary style in the Bible where it seems like they're making two statements, but they're making one statement that is just complete. It's just seen from two different angles. And what I want you to see here is that there is a very unique action of God implanting his nature into the womb of a woman. First of all, it's necessary to do that because of what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. In that, Jesus gives this general principle. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In order for there to be born something of the spirit into the flesh, 
there must be that implantation of the Spirit. But I want you to see the imagery that Gabriel uses here. You remember, do you not, how the world was created? You remember the first two verses of Scripture where it says in Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving, that is, hovering over the surface of the waters. I want you to know that he, he uses the exact same imagery when Mary says, how am I going to get pregnant? The Holy Spirit is hovering over that which is dark, over that which is void, over the waters, over the darkness of the deep. It says in, in Psalm 139, it calls a woman's womb that depths of the earth. That's what it calls it. And so, when God says, through Gabriel, you're going to be pregnant, he says, I'm going to make you pregnant the same way I formed the world. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to hover over you, and there will be life that springs from you with that kind of power. Now, it's very, also very interesting to note that this passage... This overshadowing of God, that word shadow is very interesting. We read um, uh, to each other about God being a great light in the atmosphere of darkness. In Scripture, it talks about the focused presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's a certain, there's a certain shadow that's really a light called the glory of God or the Shekinah glory. Yeah, when, you, when you're reading about it in Exodus 14, it's this cloud of God that comes out. And in, in, in the daytime, it's, it's a cloud. And in the night, it's a, it's a pillar of fire. When, when, the, when the tabernacle is established, uh, it comes down and it lights up the tabernacle. The, the presence of God, the gleaming presence of God is the glory of God. In, when, 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 the, when Jesus is, is on the mountain and the, the, the transfiguration happens, the, it gleams so much as his clothes are bright because that's the focused presence of God and that's the association here. Now, why is that significant? What happens when the, when the Shekinah glory, that is those events where the focused presence of God comes in our lives, is that it projects us to be a much more significant influence than we could ever imagine because of that light. Let me give you an analogy. I think the boy's name was Antonio, who during Christmas time brought little wood carvings to a church. Now these wood carvings were very simple, very primitive, very incomplete. As a matter of fact, the wood carving of Joseph was rather rough. No ears, no eyes. He didn't know how to do it that well. His fine motor skills hadn't gotten there. The same with the statue of Mary, the little figurine of Mary, and the same with the baby Jesus. He brought them to the church as his offering. It happened to be a Catholic church, but the priest, so wise in his compassion, took those little rough, primitive figurines and put them on the altar table. And then he did something 
that was very important for us to understand. He took a spotlight, and without covering up the figurines, he shined that light in such a way that their shadow was cast on the wall of the church. And the looming presence of God was projected from these little, insignificant, imperfect figurines. I tell you that because the Shekinah glory of God has exactly the same effect on our lives. We are these little, primitive, imperfect figurines. And when we put ourselves on the altar of God, this light somehow takes our lives and gives us a role to be a reminder of God that, that is way beyond our, what our stature deserves. And that's what was happening with Mary. The glory of the Lord shall overshadow you. And then he said something that all of us need to understand for accurate doctrine. And as a result of this, this holy thing, literally translated, holy means separated, something very different, shall be called the Son of God, not the Son of Man, the Son of God. Why is it important for us to understand that what was born of Mary was not a mere baby of humankind, of only humankind? There are three ingredients necessary to be a savior in this world. Number one, it's got to be a human. Number two, got to be sinless. Number three, it's got to be God. Now let me go down there very quickly with you so that, so that you don't get Christianity confused with any other faith. Number one, I want you to see why God became incarnate. You see, from the very beginning, God has gotten us ready to have that complement which we could never be for ourselves. You know how he did that? He started out with making a woman for a man. It says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Hebrew says this, I'm going to make a corresponding one for him. And the colloquial would go like this, I'm going to make for him somebody who talks back. Why did man need that? Because he wasn't complete in himself. Then you notice the, the narrative goes on to say, okay, he looks through all the animals, can't find a date there. He's, literally, he's, he's pictured calling out to the animals. Anybody want a date? You know, He doesn't know what a woman looks like for crying out loud. Some of you singles know this feeling very well. None of the animals fit. Then God does this. He takes out of man that which is man but not man. And that becomes the other part. That is to say, he was enough like, she was enough like man to be intimate, but different enough to be necessary. Now I want you to see that as pointing toward Christ. He was enough like man to be intimate. How would we know what God is? 
we would never know without Christ. Never know. We could not comprehend God on any relationship level without Jesus Christ. We could receive revelation. We could have more rules added on to us. All religions claim to give us that. We would never know God in personal form without Jesus Christ. So he had to be man. And he had to be sinless. Because if the Savior had sinned, he would simply have needed to pay for his own sin. There would have been no room to take our sins on him. But why did he need to be God? He needed to be God because no man can forgive another man. No creature can save a creature. You see, if God is just, we need to have our sins forgiven. Or there is no justice in the universe. We have sinned, there is payment due. God can't set up and go, you sin, don't worry about it. I don't want your self-esteem to suffer. I want you to feel good about yourself. Don't worry about it. Would that be justice? Absolutely not. That would be like a doctor saying, you got cancer? Don't worry about it. Have a happy day. Put a sm- let a smile be your umbrella. You know, that'd be one stupid doctor. That'd be one stupid God that would do that. But that's what a lot of people picture God is doing. That's not a God. That's a dope. God says sin means death. We got to deal with this. And if you have sins attributed to you, that means you have death in your life. We've got to deal with this. But yet you can't deal with it. What are you going to, what are you, how are you going to fix it? You're going to be better? You owe that to God already. There's got to be someone who is sinless and who is God himself that can take those things on. You know why? Because we can't forgive each other's sins to God. If you get a speeding ticket, I can't say to you, don't worry about it. You go on. Don't worry about paying that. You didn't offend. You, you don't owe that to me. You owe it to the state. And sooner or later, they're going to catch up with you. If you sin against God, I can't say to you, don't worry about it. Go on. So only God can forgive. And that's exactly what happened. When God came down... And by the vehicle, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was birthed into the darkness of Mary's womb and grew to be the Savior that all of us needed. Now, the the utterable, unfathomable wonder about this is that the life would come into a dead world. A dead world getting deader. That's, That's the wonder about this. That he would choose... Such a common vehicle. But he did. I read a story not too long ago about the height of the persecution in Poland when the Nazis were running down the Jews and capturing them and carting them off to concentration camps. And many of the Jews were trying to escape. It was a horrible time. And the Jews wanted so badly, many of them who were believers wanted so badly for the Messiah to come because they didn't believe that the Messiah had come. They wanted the Messiah to come and save them out of that. One morning, a Jewish cemetery keeper went into work and saw something extraordinary. During the night, a young Jewish girl had crawled down into an open grave in order to have her baby, in order to hide that baby from the Nazis. She had died during childbirth 
but the baby was still alive. The cemetery keeper looked into the grave, saw what had happened, and said, This must be the Messiah, because only the Messiah would be born into a grave. Only God would be born into a grave. Well, of course, he wasn't right about the baby. The baby died a few hours later. But he had spoken a truth deeper than he could know. Our God was born into a dying world. The shadow of death, we call it. And you know what? Just as a little metaphor, I want you to know that there are, there are places in your life that you think are dead. You think they are. And you're ready just to fill in the grave and walk on. I want to tell you something. If they're of God, don't you dare fill in that grave. Because God can be born in an open grave. You keep that open to God and you watch what he does. Let's read the last verses. Verse 39. I'm sorry. Verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth. Behold, I'm sorry. Um, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. This is the first Mary had heard about it. Heard, heard about it from Gabriel. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Boy, some of us ought to have that tattooed on our glasses. Nothing will be impossible. You know, translated from the Greek, this is in, this is in the verb tense and mood that says, nothing shall ever be no matter when impossible to God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. You know, in, that, in the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this is. God, if you designed it in heaven, I want it in my life. <laughs> the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. There are two signs given to two groups of people. The sign given to those in disbelief is the sign of isolation. You remember what happened to Zacharias when he said, Lord, give me a sign so that I can believe you. The Lord gave him a sign. The sign was he couldn't talk for nine months. That's the sign. The sign given to disbelief is separation. The sign given to disbelief is isolation. The angel was saying, okay, you want it according to your terms. You got it according to your terms. You will only be able to communicate with yourself very well for the next nine months. But there is another sign. A sign given to those who believe and who are looking for belief. And that's the sign of connection. Mary was willing to do whatever the angel said, but the angel had some other news for her. You know what, Mary? You're not alone in this. You think this is cool? 
Let me tell you something else that's cool. Same thing happened with your cousin Elizabeth. How cool is that? How great is it when we waver over whether we're adequate to do what God told us, that God gives us the witness of his activity in other people's lives. That's what he does. Do you believe? Then 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 an accompanying sign is a companion miracle that you see in somebody else's life. That is such an encouragement. It doesn't, you don't need it to believe, but it encourages you. It really takes, it makes your step lighter. I tell you what, when I read in the Advent devotionals, in the, in the, in the curriculum, I read all of them. I, just, I don't read just an adult. I, I go through the student and because I like to read the stories of what God is doing in other people's lives. It's not that I need them to believe, but God provides them as companion miracles. Thank you, God. Look what you're doing here. Look what you're, that is so cool. Thank you. What you're doing, that is so great. Thank you. God wants you to be in, a t- in touch with other, with other Christians. You know why? Because I think that most people think that God is getting behind her and behind her in this world. And he's not. You talk to any Christian. And you just listen for a while what God's doing in people's lives. And you will know that we're coming up on the finish line and we're gaining we're gaining. I want you to know that. I sat down this week with the leader of a couple of, a couple of leaders of a couple of ministries. One was a, one's a Bible translating ministry. Uh, wonderful worldwide ministry. And another is an evangelistic ministry. Wonderful worldwide ministry. And I, I was representing the church and we were kind of seeing maybe how we could do better together, what we'd done apart for so many years. And, and, and I walked out of that room two and a half hour meeting. And I was so pumped because no matter what comes of that conversation, if nothing comes of that conversation, I heard what God was doing over and over and over again in each one of these ministries. And I said, thank you, God. This isn't up to me. Look at what you're doing. This is so cool. Next morning I came here. Sat down in my office with a, with a partnering uh, uh, pastor from Cairo, Egypt. This church, you know, you know this Casa de Barra church. And he started, I said, tell me what the Lord's doing. Man, he started telling everything that the Lord's doing in their ministry. I just got so pumped up. Next hour, uh, a pastor from uh, Ukraine, former Soviet Union, comes in. Tell me what the Lord's doing. Man, he started telling me everything the Lord was doing. I was just, man, you could, I I just had to be about tied down with rope or I'd have floated off. I want you to know what God is doing. And I want you to ask each other what God is doing. Hey, Mary, it's not just with you. Look what I'm doing with Elizabeth. That's the witness. That's the wonderful thing. As I look around, as I hear your stories, what God's doing with you guys, I love this. And all of us need to keep communicating as individuals and as a church to, to, to get the breadth of the glory of God in his, in his activity. But when it comes right down to it, it's not enough just to know what he's doing. It's only enough when you say, God, I want, to do, I want you to do it to me too. I, I, I want to serve you. Let it be to me according to your word. That's, that's really 
going to be our response at the end of this service. God, do this in me too. Not just in Mary. Do it in me too. And I tell you why that is. Because if Christmas means anything, it means that God's not going to operate mainly through his religious spokespeople. It means that God, when he comes into this world, is going to come through very common vehicles who walk everyday life the way religious spokespeople can't ever get to. It means that God wants everyone to be able to say what Mary said. I saw, Becky and I saw a good movie Friday, and she says, I can't recommend it to you because it's rated R, so I won't. But I'll describe it, enough of it to you, you can know what it is. <laughs> Don't tell Beck. It's a movie about death row. And there's a scene in this movie. Tom Hanks plays this. <laughs> I know it's okay with God. It's just no kid Beck. <laughs> She's very careful. She's just trying to protect me. That's what she does. But there's this scene where Tom Hanks is, is talking to this big, huge guy on death row. The guy is not guilty. But that really doesn't matter to Tom because they have become friends. They have done ministry together during the time he's been there. Tom's feeling horrible about this guy going to the chair. And so he's asking him, is there anything I can do for you? And the guy says, well, I kind of like meatloaf for my last supper. And Tom says, can I get you a preacher? And the guy looks at him and says, he's kind of baiting him, what for? And Tom says, well, you know, maybe a, say a prayer or something. And the guy says, no, nah, I, I don't want a preacher, but you could say a prayer if you wanted. And Tom said, me? And then he thought for a minute and he said, well, I guess I could if it, if it came to it. If it came down to that, I, I guess I could. I want to tell you, you don't need a preacher in your life. Maybe once a week it helps you out. But where you live life, you're the ones that need to say the prayers. You know why? It's come down to that. Pray with me. Lord, give us the response of Mary to make ourselves at your bidden call and, and help us to be encouraged at what's going on around us. Help us to hear the stories of your activities and to, and to, and to respond in faith. Help us to be curious uh, and, 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 and be of wonder at, at how you operate. But when it comes right down to it, God, give us the heart and the words and the behavior of Mary. Lord, be it unto me according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.